Chapter 16 It was deeper in the pond than he thought, so deep he couldn't touch the bottom, and it was terribly, frighteningly cold. So cold he couldn't move, every muscle in his body tensed as the heat was sucked out of him through his shocked white skin. He almost panicked. This was it. He was going to turn into a human ice cube. He forced his eyes open, the cold biting at his eyeballs, but discovered he could see. There was a light in front of him, floating near his face. The Squiducken key was glowing, a beautiful soft green. He remembered what he had to do, kicked hard with his frozen feet and reached the surface. He heard Jenny call his name, but ignored it. If he didn't concentrate right now, he'd never catch the carp. His hands and feet were completely numb, but at least now his legs were moving. He kept them kicking and slowly moved out to the drooping branches of the willow. He reached them and used his free hand to test each one. Most were light and flimsy, and he brushed them aside. But there, one of them held fast. It was taut like a guy rope of a tent. He took a deep breath, then dived down, deep into the water, clumsily pulling himself along the tight willow branch with his numb hands, guided by the green light of the Squiducken key. He went deeper and deeper into the pond. So deep his ears hurt, his buoyant body tried to pull him upwards. How could the water be this deep? Then he noticed something strange. His skin wasn't screaming with cold anymore. The deeper water had some heat to it, and he pulled himself farther and further down into the comfortable warmth. Feeling started returning to his numb hands and feet. It would have been relaxing if not for the fact that he was running very short on oxygen. The green glow from the key revealed the end of the branch. It was twined around a huge brass fish hook that threaded through a thick iron ring that was anchored to the solid stone pond bed. James tried to unhook the branch, but it was held fast. He couldn't pull down hard enough to release it, as his body was being pushed up by the pressure of the deep water. As he was struggling with the hook, something moved nearby. The glow of the key did not permeate far into the murky depths. Still, he looked up and saw it. A huge dark shape, as big as a car, slid past him. He panicked and let out a shout. This was a bad move, as all of the air trapped in his lungs burst free. He was now out of oxygen and out of time. He would never make it back to the surface in time. He was going to drown. Then he thought about the willow branch, so tightly anchored. And he still had the corn on the cob tightly gripped in his left hand. That was it! He grabbed the iron ring anchored in the rock and shoved the corn on the cob hard onto the end of the hook. Pushing the cob with all his might, he felt the hook give. Just a millimetre, but enough to give him hope. With his last strength, he put the heel of his left foot against the cob and kicked it hard. It pushed the hook through the ring. The branch was free and it rocketed upwards. He held tight with both hands and it yanked him up fast out of the warmth of the depths and back through the freezing layer of water. As he rose, he felt the huge shape near, right beneath him, catching him. He pulled his feet up and away from the shape and willed his lungs to hold out for just one more second. 
With a huge splash, he broke through the surface and gulped lungfuls of freezing air. He didn't care about the cold this time. He could breathe, and it felt great. He let go of the branch and swam to the edge. When he tried to pull himself out, however, he felt weak and sluggish. Jenny helped him. Her hands felt hot against his cold, wet skin. He lay on the hard, frosty edge stones, shivering and exhausted. "'You did it!' Jenny said. "'Well done, boy!' Hegel added, throwing the blanket over him. "'What?' James said. "'I didn't get the stone. I barely made it out alive.' "'Hello, Henry. Good to see you again. You've grown a little bit since last time.' James rolled over and looked into the pond. There, right where the willow branches touched the surface, was a monstrous shape. A fish, a carp as big as a whale, was floating half out of the water. The hook on the end of the branch lodged firmly in its mouth. Flap the girdle picks over here, will you? The great fish flapped its tail, sending a shower of water over the side of the pond. The tail rested on the stone next to James, and strapped to it was a leather case. The straps were secured with an ornate metal buckle, and in the centre of the buckle was a keyhole. James sat up and gathered the blanket around him. He pulled the squiduckin key over his head and handed it to Jenny. She put the key into the buckle and turned it, and the girdle picks came free. How do we unhook the fish? Jenny asked with a frown. I don't fancy putting my hand in its mouth. Oh, don't worry about that, Hegel said. Henry can take care of himself. Can't you, Henry? The huge fish lifted its tail high and slipped silently under the water like a submarine leaving a port. Even when he was dry and had his clothes back on, James still felt cold. They were still under the willow tree, and James recounted what had happened deep in the pond. The girdle picks went into his school rucksack, and he hung the key back around his neck. You need to get the Stone of Brighthelm out of the open, Hegel told them, preferably under water. Otherwise, some really bad weather will be coming this way. And whatever you do... Don't open the girdle picks. It might not look like much, but it keeps the stone under control. As Hegel talked, a cold wind picked up, driving ripples across the pond. The willow branches felt it too, swaying restlessly in the breeze. I need to get somewhere warmer, James said, still shivering. We need to get out of here, Jenny said nervously. Look! Through the drooping branches on the far side of the pond, over the stepping stones, a fox appeared, then another. They've come for the stone, James said. You two get going, Hegel said. I've got unfinished business with those ginger vandals. But, James stuttered through his chattering teeth. Go, Hegel ordered. I let these rovers have their way once. They won't get the better of me again. I'll not let them get the stone. Now go! James and Jenny moved quietly away from the pond, toward the gate nearest the pedestrian crossing. They were shielded from the foxes by the drooping branches of the willow tree. Hegel strode boldly out onto the path, and stood on the first stepping stone, his pike held proudly before him. As James stepped to the edge of the busy road, he looked back and saw Chimera walking slowly across the stepping stones toward the brave hedgehog. The traffic was thick, 
and James was not in any shape for moving quickly. They crossed over to the wide track that ran around Preston Park. Neither of them wanted to go into the park, but the quickest way home would mean they had to walk back past the pond, albeit on the other side of the road from the rockery. Let's go the long way round, Jenny said. It'll be safer. As she spoke, they both heard a loud splash from the rockery, and then a high-pitched yelp of a fox, followed by another splash. A few seconds after, Chimera appeared by the rockery gate, looking directly at the children. The only thing that kept her away was the traffic on the busy road. We won't last two minutes against the foxes, Jenny said. We need to get somewhere safe, right now. The clock tower, James said, holding up the squiduckin key. It's straight across the park. He started trotting awkwardly across the grass, the cold-induced limp of still-numb limbs, but it was the best he could do. Jenny caught him up and put her hand around his waist to help him. It was only a sixty-second sprint to the clock tower on a good day, but they weren't sprinting and there were angry foxes close by. James didn't want to look back. He knew as soon as Chimera crossed the road it would be game over. He kept his fingers crossed for a steady stream of traffic. They made it halfway across the first football field. The wind had picked up and was making waves in the grass. James felt blood slowly returning to his legs. It was prickly and uncomfortable, the worst pins and needles ever. He risked a glance back to the road and saw a car swerve, then another stop sharply, tyres squealing. The sound of multiple car horns cut through the blustery air and announced the start of a deadly race. "'Run!' James shouted, prying Jenny's arm from his waist and pushing her forwards. She grabbed his hand and pulled him with her, and they tore across the grass toward the clock tower. They were over the midpoint and onto the next football field. The tower was ahead between the tall, dark trees. The wind had turned into a gale, buffeting the children as they ran. James's feet were still numb, and as they crossed the field he stumbled, foot catching on a clump of long grass. He fell down, sprawled out on the wet, muddy grass. Jenny tugged at his hand. He dragged himself to his knees, then staggered to his feet. He looked back and saw the dark shapes of Chimera's clan tearing through the park, almost level with the square cafe. They'd never make it to safety in time. It was only a hundred metres to the steps. They kept going through the gale. James couldn't remember being out in such strong wind before. One gust nearly took him off his feet. Another managed to get under his coat and inflated it like a balloon. Nearly there! Jenny shouted over the wind. Just before the steps, a huge gust caught Jenny and lifted her off the ground. James held her hand tightly, and for a moment she was a human kite, flying sideways, feet kicking against nothing but air. Then the wind dropped her back down. They leapt up the steps, and James had the squiduckin key ready. The clock tower was a welcome barrier against the wind. James searched for the keyhole and found it. He jammed the key in and turned it, and the secret door in the wall swung open. He crouched to go in when Jenny said, Look! He turned and looked back across the park. Half a dozen foxes were battling against the wind. They were moving slowly, crouched low against the grass, in order to avoid being swept into the air. Let's get inside, James said, crawling through the low door. Jenny followed, and they pulled the door shut behind them.